following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I'm a sinner saved by God's grace over 45 years ago. And whenever I was asked to preach on this passage, um, I'll just say I hope I can hold it together. This is a story that I heard after I was a young believer, so this traces back for very many years, but I hope it captures what I'm going to be talking on today. It was the 1940s when it was politically correct to have large Christmas displays in the stores. This is a display of the nativity, the celebration of the birth of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. I want you to picture a young boy standing in front of this display. He was seven or eight years old. He was enraptured with just the scenery that was before him. The manager of the store had spared no expense. The camels were clothed with camel hair. The cattle had been meticulously structured with cow hair. And even the sheep had wool. The star showing the way to the Magi for the Christ child had so many points you could not count it. And it glittered like stained glass. The baby child Jesus was in the manger with his parents behind him. The shepherds bowing before worshiping. You could see the magi coming in the distance towards the manger. As the boy is standing there, a man came up and stood behind the young child and began looking at the display. And it was impressive. It was over 20 feet of the window front. Just think of this entire stage as being a display for the birth of Christ. He gazed at it for several minutes, and then either talking to himself or talking to the child, he said, it's too bad that Jesus had to die. The young boy remained enthralled with the nativity scene not acknowledging the statement. The man turned and walked away with the child still gazing at the storefront window. When the man had gone about a half a block, he heard a shout from behind him from the young man. Mister, mister, wait. And he saw the child running towards him, stopping and turning He waited for the child to come to him. When the young lad had got to him, the man knelt, and the child said excitedly, Mister, mister, Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. He is alive. This is what we're going to be discussing in Scripture today, the resurrection. I would like to pray so I can compose myself a little bit. (laughs) Father God, 
creator of the universe, you who allowed your son to come to die for us, and Lord, not only die for us, but to rise from the dead that we might have a living hope. We praise you, Lord God. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that you said would teach us all things. And Lord, I am such an inadequate man, a sinner saved by your grace, trying to communicate the truth of your gospel. Lord, may it take hold in our lives as we look in your scripture today. In your precious name we pray, Jesus, amen. Let's review the scripture that we're going to be going over today, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. Uh, for those of you that do not have a Bible, there's usually a Bible sitting on a chair around you, and it is our privilege as a church to ask you to take one if you do not have one. Uh, if you're not familiar with Scripture, the page that we're looking at is page 961. So, a reflection of my old past of where the Scripture reading was in pages. This is the Scripture. Listen closely. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Justin and Craig have set this sermon up very well over the last couple of weeks. Um, this resurrection from the dead, this is known as good news or the gospel. And they, they explained what the gospel was. The resurrection is essential for the gospel. Without the resurrection, we'll see what happens. Let's look at this verse by verse. And when we start in 12, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul is going to be addressing false doctrine. He is taking one of the core statements of the Christian faith, and he's going to defend it. If you think about it, no resurrection is the argument of the Pharisees. 
If you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all give the same account. It says, on that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came before Jesus and questioned him. And then they gave a nice long question about what was going to happen during the resurrection, which showed they didn't have any idea what the resurrection was going to be. And then in Paul, whenever he is put before the Sanhedrin in Acts 23, he states, but perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, brethren, I'm a Pharisee a son of Pharisees, and I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. So the question is, is there a resurrection from the dead? If you have placed your faith in salvation in Christ, you have to say yes. There is no other answer. If you do not place your faith in Christ for salvation, then the following argument only has one conclusion, both for those that believe in Christ and those that do not. If we look at the next verse, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. This statement is in direct (coughs) contradiction as far as what Christ has said. Think on these passages. If you look in Matthew 16, 21, which is Christ before he has been crucified, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Wait, there's one other thing. And on the third day, rise again. And then after the resurrection, whenever everything was in turmoil because the tomb was empty, Jesus was walking along the road to Emmaus with a couple of his disciples. And if you look at Luke 24, 45 through 47, you see Jesus explaining what happened. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name in all nations beginning in Jerusalem. These are the words of Christ. Are they true or are they a lie? Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of those who have placed their faith in Christ, primarily because I could not see them. But for those that have, 
There is an old song, we serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men say. Our Christ is living and amongst us right now. I'm not going to ask you if you believe it. I am stating our Christ is living and amongst us right now. Without the resurrection, we cannot preach Christ because without the resurrection, we have no foundation for our salvation. We would be like any other religion with a great teacher. Now, wait a minute. Actually, we can't even say that Christ would have been a great teacher because what he taught was false. Because if Christ was not raised from the dead, then he's not a great teacher. Matter of fact, Christ himself said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. If he was not raised from the dead, then he's not telling the truth. And not only that, he taught his disciples not to tell the truth. Because that's why we are here. Because we believed a lie. For me, this would not be a characteristic of a great teacher one who teaches lies and teaches others lies. Now, I want you to think on this. The 11 disciples plus the 500 that Craig talked about last week plus Paul. These men who saw the living Christ all went to their death stating that he rose from the dead. Not one of them recanted. Not one of the eyewitnesses who saw the risen Christ were willing to say it was all a lie. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead is not raised. Time and time again, if the dead are not raised. When we share the gospel, we must share that Jesus rose from the dead. If we do not share this, we are neglecting and sharing the complete gospel, because this is where our hope is. But if we share that Christ has risen from the dead, and in reality, he is still in the tomb, or whatever remains after 2,000 years would be in a tomb, um, then we are liars. Not only that, we are false prophets, in that we declare that God raised Jesus from the dead, just like Peter did in Acts when he stated to the nation of Israel, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But wait, 
God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I do not want to misrepresent God. Jesus was either raised from the dead or he was not. Which is it for you? In verse 16, he says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. This is a self-evident statement. He has made this statement over and over again, and he's coming back to it again. And then this is in direct opposition to what even the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures taught. If you look in Daniel chapter 12, verse 13, what you will see is a promise that was given to Daniel at the end of his life. But as for you, this is God talking to Daniel, go your way to the end. In other words, get ready to die. Then you will enter into rest and will rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel is told that he is going to rise again. This was a prophet promise given to Daniel by God, and it carries through to today. Because if we have put our faith in Christ, we are leaning on the same promise that God is going to raise us from the dead. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Futile faith, what a statement. If Christ has not been resurrected, if he has not been raised from the dead, then I am an idiot. I may be an idiot anyway, but... I'm an idiot for believing that. And for those of you that have put your faith in Christ with the hope of resurrection from the dead, if he was not raised from the dead, we are stupid. I'm sorry. There's no other conclusion you can come to. But not only that, I am still in my sins. I would invite you to look at Romans 6.23. And just the first portion of this, because I'm going to go into the rest of it in a little bit of detail a little bit later. I can see you guys now. Uh, uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And like I said, there's a promise afterwards, but think on this. The wages. What are wages? How many of you go to work? every day, or at least Monday through Friday, or Tuesday through Saturday, or whatever. You go to work, you expect to be paid for the work that you give your company. We're told here that the wages of what? The wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. What is sin? The easiest translation is missing the mark. It's an archery term. And there's two ways of missing the mark. One is like Robin Hood whenever he's shooting and he splits the arrow in half. That's dead sinner, okay? If you're not dead sinner, but also if you think of those epic 
medieval films like Braveheart, I'm just kidding, but where they draw back the bow, they're not shooting at a specific target. They're just shooting in a specific direction. You're not even shooting in the right direction. And what is the result of it? Wages, payment of my wages is death. Now, this death is not, I mean, all of you are alive right now, I'm assuming, and I don't hear a whole lot of cackling, but <clears throat> Paul says in Ephesians 2, chapter 1, he says, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So he's talking to believers, and, and for those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, I don't want you to forget we were dead before God. And it's only by his grace that we are not dead anymore. If you have not put your faith in Christ, you are still dead in your sins. You are separated from God. We are still in our sins. For those that do not believe that you're a sinner, let me share with you out of Scripture what it has to say. Now, some of you may say, well, you know, Scripture, I don't know about this Bible or anything else, but it's almost like me whenever I'm driving on 410, there's a speed limit sign there that says the speed limit is 60 miles an hour. I don't know why in that one section on 410, they decide to decrease the speed limit to 60 miles an hour. It doesn't matter what I believe the sign says that I have to go 60. Scripture says we are sinners. If you start in the Old Testament, Solomon, whenever he is dedicating the temple in both 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles, he, in his prayer before God, he says, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Hmm, no one? Okay. Romans, just a little bit earlier than 6, chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God. Hmm, not one, all. And then lastly in 1 John 1.18, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I think that's three strikes and we're out, folks. In verse 18, Paul goes on to say, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Paul is making a statement here that those who have professed Christ and have died, that they have perished. In other words, this perished here is destruction. And the implication, I think, is we don't use the word very much anymore, but that we're going to hell. So that means that if we have put our faith in Christ and Christ is not raised from the dead, we are still in our sins and the punishment of our sins is eternal separation from God. It also means 
that anyone who puts their faith in Christ is going to have the same fate as anyone who has not put their faith in Christ. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of all people most to be pitied. If you've put your faith in Christ, we are most of all to be pitied. This is Paul's concluding statement on if there is no resurrection. But I want you to think on this. Was Paul pitied? He was not pitied. He was persecuted. The saints through the ages, those who have put their faith in Christ through the ages, have not been pitied. We have been persecuted. And the reason that we have been persecuted is because God did raise Jesus from the dead. And it comes face to face with the world and reveals the sin of the world. As a result, the world will reject it because, I don't know about you, I mean, Mark Fioli down here knows one of the statements that we have in our Saturday morning study is from a few good men. And you know what the statement is. I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson responds, you can't handle the truth. And the truth of the matter is, is when I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror and that mirror is Jesus as it's put in James. And I see what manner of man that Jesus is. And I see what manner of man that I am. I have to drop on my knees and ask for forgiveness. Because I am not the man that God wants me to be. I want to look at Romans 623 again. Uh, this is something that I used to, <clears throat> that I actually still share with people, but I was with a group at one time where we were radical and we actually went door to door and knocked on doors and shared Christ with people. When I was in the military, it was very easy because you could go down the barrack doors and just knock. And this is the tool that I use. Actually, it was more extensive and this is a more simplified one. So for those of you that believe in Christ, I want to give you this tool because it's a very, very cool tool to use. It's a very easy tool to use. All you do, if you want to share with someone and say, do you want to hear about Jesus? You go to Romans 6.23. And what you do, if you're sitting in the back, we have plenty of seats up here. But what you do is you give them or have them pull up now you can say, pull up on their phone, Romans 6.23, and have them read it to you. As you have them read it to you, you just write it out on a sheet of paper. You make two squares on each side of the paper. On one side, you make a stick man. On another side, you put the throne. The man is us. The throne is God. There is a great big separation between us and God. What did I say wages were? 
It's what we deserve for what we've done. The second half of this verse, though, states, but, and I'm going to go to King James. The modern versions put in the free gift. I want you to think on this for a minute. If you are given a gift with strings attached, is it free? My father-in-law got a, um, a letter from Spain saying he had won $10 million. And all that he had to do was send $1,500 to get this free gift. Does that sound like it's free? Matter of fact, couldn't you just take the 1500 out of the $10 million that I just won? Okay? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying here. A gift is free. You don't do anything for a gift. The free gift of who? The free gift of God. God cancels out our sin. And what is this gift of God? It's eternal life. So the wages of our sin is death. The gift of God is our eternal life. Which side do you want to be on? You want to die or do you want to live? But how do you get from the one side to the other side? And the last phrase there says, through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, if you draw a cross right in the middle connecting the two, is the bridge between where we are without Christ to where we can be in Christ. Simple tool, doesn't take, what, took me five minutes to explain it. Give them the piece of paper, they can go home and they can think on it. But I also want to cover the portion is as we talk about putting your faith in Christ. What do we mean when we say that we put our faith in Christ? I love this stage because I want you to picture it as Niagara Falls. I am standing on one side of Niagara Falls. I want you to think for a minute. This is, I told Craig and Justin I was going to use them both in the sermon, and this is where they are used in the sermon. And Craig is standing on this side of the falls. Justin is standing on the other side of the falls. Craig comes up, and there's a group of people. Oh, my gosh, we do have a group of people here, too. And he says, how many of you believe I can take a rope and throw it from this side to the other side over there? Does anyone believe? You do believe? That's better than me, because I'm, I'm like Craig. I'm from Missouri. Show me. <laughs> so anyway, Craig reaches back and flings. Matter of fact, I don't even know if Craig could throw it to the other side of the stage. <laughs> uh, anyway, he takes it and he throws it, and it goes across Niagara Falls. Justin's on the other side. He ties it to a tree, and then Craig ties it to a tree on this side. And he says, how many now believe that I can throw the rope across? 
Well, I don't know about you guys, but I just saw it. I believe that he can do it. So he now says, how many of you believe that I can take a wheelbarrow with 200 pounds of potatoes and push it from this side to the other side? Again, I don't believe this. So he gets the 200 pounds of potatoes, puts them in the wheelbarrow, and then he walks across this rope, not like it's the tight rope, but like it's a four-lane highway, all the way across, and then turns around and goes all the way back. How many now believe? Do you believe that Craig can do this? Of course. Now Craig says, how many believe that a man can get in here and I can push him across? Well, I'm at that point now. I'm less than 200 pounds. I believe that he could probably do it. And looking with love and compassion, just like Jesus looked at love and compassion on the rich young ruler, he says, Bob, I want you to get into the wheelbarrow. This is the faith I'm talking about. But it goes even beyond that because I know that if I stay on this side, I am going to die. I know that I, to go to that side, I will be alive. And because I know that Craig is speaking out of love for me, I really want to get into that wheelbarrow. But there's a problem. My legs are broken. I cannot climb into this wheelbarrow. The only way that I can get in is for Craig to lift me up, put me in the wheelbarrow, and start pushing me across. This is what Jesus does for believers. This is what faith in Christ is. The last verse. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is not good news, folks. This is great news. He has risen. The entire crux of Christianity is accumulated in these verses. Christ has either been raised from the dead or he has not. If he has not been raised, we are hopeless before God because we are still dead because of our sin. We have a debt that cannot be paid without the blood of Christ and the promise of resurrection. Again, I say, praise the Lord God Almighty. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I believe that this great news is summed up in the Apostles' Creed, which came into existence a few years after Paul wrote this letter. This was the profession of faith that believers gave. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal holy church, and the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen, as Judy would say. This is the hope of the Christian. This is the hope of the disciple of Christ. If this is your hope, I rejoice. If you do not have this hope, if you have not taken the gift of God and you want to have eternal life and enter God's kingdom, put your faith in Jesus who died for you Call on him for your salvation. Believe. If you want to hear more, talk to me or one of the elders after the church. Let's pray. Again, we come before you, God, not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of all what Jesus did on the cross. And Lord, if he had died there, it would have been glorious. But because he rose from the dead, because he said he would send his spirit to live within us, praise God, hallelujah. Lord Jesus, may these words grind deeply into our souls. For those of us who know Christ, may we think on this daily and never forget the hope that we have. For those that may not know Christ, Lord, I would pray that you would bring them to yourself. And again, just remind them of the love that you have showed them, and we ask that they respond. Amen.